Chapter 55 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume 2 by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 55 it is written in no book how many battles the armies the nobles and the people of the commonwealth fought with the enemy they fought in forests in fields in villages in hamlets in towns they fought in prussia in mazovia in great poland in little poland in russia in lithuania in Schmund. they fought without resting in the day or the night every clod of earth was drenched in blood the names of knights their glorious deeds their great devotion perished from the memory for the chronicler did not write them down and the loot did not celebrate them but under the force of these exertions the power of the enemy bent at last and as when a lordly lion pierced the moment before with missiles rises suddenly and shaking his kingly mane roars mightily pale terror pierces straight away the hunters and their feet turned to flight so that commonwealth rose ever more terrible filled with anger of jove ready to meet the whole world into the bones of the aggressors there entered weakness and fear not of plunder were they thinking then but of this only to bear away home from the juice of the lion's sound head new leagues new legions of hungarians transylvanians velikians and cossacks were of no avail the storm passed once more it is true between brest warsaw and krakow but it was broken against polish breasts and soon was scattered like empty vapor the king of sweden being the first to despair of his cause went home to danish war the traitorous elector humble before the strong insolent to the weak beat with his forehead before the commonwealth and fell upon the swedes the robber legions of Rakotsky's slaughterers fled with all power to their Transylvanian fields, which Pan Lubomirsky ruined with fire and sword. But it was easier for them to break into the Commonwealth than to escape without punishment. Therefore, when they were attacked at the passage, the counts of Transylvania, kneeling before Patotsky, Lubomirsky and Charnetsky, begged for mercy in the dust. We will surrender our weapons, 
we will give millions, cried they, only let us go. And receiving the ransom, the headmans took pity on that army of unfortunate men, but the horde trampled them under hoofs at the very thresholds of their homes. Peace began to return gradually to the plains of Poland. The king was still taking Prussian fortresses. Czarnetsky was to take the Polish sword to Denmark, for the Commonwealth did not wish to limit itself to driving out the enemy. Villages and towns were built on burned ruins. The people returned from the forests. Plows appeared in the fields. In the autumn of 1657, immediately after the Hungarian War, it was quiet in the greater part of the provinces and districts. It was quiet especially in Schmund. Those of the louder men, who in their time had gone with Volodyovsky, were still somewhere far off in the field, but their return was expected. Meanwhile, in Marezi, in Volmontovici, in Drzejkani, Mosgi, Gastuni, and Pazzunelli, women, boys, and girls with old men were sowing the winter grain, building with joint efforts houses in those neighborhoods through which fire had passed, so that the warriors in their return might find at least roofs over their heads and not be forced to die of hunger. Olenka had been living for some time at Vodokty with Anusa and the sword-bearer. Pan Tomasz did not hasten to his Blevichy, first because it was burned, and second because it was pleasanter for him with the maidens than alone. Meanwhile, with the aid of Alenka, he managed Vodokty. The lady wished to manage Vodokty in the best manner, for it was to be with Mitruni, her dowry for the cloister. In other words, it was to become the property of the Benedictine nuns, with whom, on the very day of the coming new year, poor Alenka intended to begin her novitiate. For after she had considered everything that had met her, those changes of fortune, disappointments and sufferings, she came to the conviction that thus, and not otherwise, must be the will of God. It seemed to her that some all-powerful hand was urging her to the cell, that some voice was saying to her, In that place is the best pacification and the end of all earthly anxiety. She had determined, therefore, to follow that voice, feeling, however, in death of her conscience that her soul had not been able yet to tear itself from the earth with completeness. She desired first to prepare it with ardent piety, 
with good works and labor. Frequently also in those efforts echoes from the world hindered her. For example, people began to buzz around that that famous Babinich was Kmita. Some contradicted excitedly. Others repeated the statement with stubbornness. Alenka believed not. All Kmita's deeds, Kmita and his service with Janusz Radzivil, were too vividly present in her memory to let her suppose for one instant that he was the crusher of Boguslav, and such a trusty worker for the king, such an ardent patriot. Still her peace was disturbed, and sorrow with pain rose up afresh in her bosom. This might be remedied by the hurried entrance to the cloister, but the cloisters were scattered. The nuns who had not perished from the violence of soldiers during wartime were only beginning to assemble. Universal misery reigned in the land, and whoso wished to take refuge behind the walls of a convent had not only to bring bread for personal use, but also to feed the whole convent. Olenka wished to come with bread to the cloister, to become not merely a sister, but a nourisher of nuns. The sword-bearer, knowing that his labor was to go to the glory of God, labored earnestly. He went around the fields and the buildings, carrying out the labors of the autumn, which with the coming spring were to bear fruit. Sometimes he was accompanied by Anusia, who, unable to endure the affront which Babinich had put upon her, threatened also to enter the cloister, and said she was merely waiting for Volodyovsky to bring back the louder man, for she wished to bid adieu to her old friend. But more frequently the sword-bearer went with Olenka, only on these circuits for land management was irksome to Anusia. A certain time both rode out on ponies to Mitruni, where they were building barns and cowhouses burned in time of war. On the road they were to visit the church, for that was the anniversary of the Battle of Volmontovici in which they were saved from the last strides by the coming of Babinich. The whole day had passed for them in various occupations, so that only toward evening could they start from Mitruni. In going there they went by the church road, but in returning they had to pass through Lubich and Volmontovici. Panna Alexandra had barely looked at the first smoke of Lubich when she turned aside her eyes and began to repeat prayers to drive away painful thoughts, but the sword-bearer rode on in silence and only looked around. At last, when they had passed the gate, he said, That is land for a senator. Lubich is worth too like Mitruni. Alenka continued to say her prayers. 
but in Pan Tomas was roused the old landlord by nature, and perhaps also he has given somewhat to lawsuits, for after a while he said again, as if to himself, and yet it is ours by right, old Belevich property, our sweat, our toil. That unfortunate man must have perished long since, for he has not announced himself. And if he had, the right is with us. Here he turned to Alinka. What do you think? This is a cursed place, answered she. Let's happen with it what may. But you see, the right is with us. The place was cursed in bad hands, but it will be blessed in good ones. The right is with us. Never. I do not wish to know anything of it. My grandfather willed it without restriction. Let Kmita's relatives take it. Then she urged on the pony. Belevich put spurs also to his beast, and they did not slack in speed till they were in the open field. Meanwhile, night had fallen, but there was perfect light, for an enormous red moon had risen from behind the forest of Valmontovici and lightened up the whole region with a golden shining. Well, God has given a beautiful night, said the sword-bearer, looking at the circle of the moon. How Volmontovici gleams from a distance, said Alenka, for the wood in the houses has not become black. Their further conversation was interrupted by the squeaking of a wagon, which they could not see at first, for the road was undulating. Soon, however, they saw a pair of horses, and following behind them a pair at a pole, and at the end of the pole a wagon surrounded by a number of horsemen. What kind of people can this be? asked the sword-bearer, and he held in his horse. Alenka stopped at his side. Halt! cried Belevich. Who are you carrying there? One of the horsemen turned to them and said, We are bringing Pan Kmita, who was shot by the Hungarians at Magyarova. The word has become flesh, said Belevich. The whole world went round suddenly in Olenka's eyes. The heart died within her. Breath failed her breast. Certain voices were calling in her soul. Jesus, Mary, that is he. Then consciousness of where she was or what was happening left her entirely. But she did not drop from the horse to the ground, for she seized convulsively with her hand the wagon rack, and when she came to herself, her eyes fell on the motionless form of a man lying in the wagon. True, that was he, Pan Andrei Kmita, the banneret of Orsha, and he was lying on his back in the wagon. His head was bound in a cloth, but by the ruddy light of the moon his pale and calm face was perfectly visible. His eyes were deeply sunk and closed, Life did not discover itself by the least movement. With God, said Belevich, removing his cap. Stop, 
cried Olenka, and she asked with a low but quick voice as in a fever. Is he alive or dead? He is alive, but dead is over him. If the sword-bearer, looking at Kmita's face, said, You will not take him to Lubich. He gave orders to take him to Lubich without fail, for he wants to die there. With God, hasten forward. We beat with the forehead. The wagon moved on, and Alenka with Belevich galloped in the opposite direction with what breath was in their horses. They flew through Valmontovich like two night phantoms, and came to the doctor without speaking a word on the road. Only when dismounting, Olenka turned to her uncle. It is necessary to send a priest to him, said she with a painting voice. Let someone to go this moment to Peter. The sword-bearer went quickly to carry out her wish. She rushed into her room and threw herself on her knees before the image of the Most Holy Lady. A couple of hours after, in the late evening, a bell was heard beyond the gate at Vodokti. That was the priest, passing on his way with the Lord Jesus to Lubich. Panna Alexandra was on her knees continually. Her lips were repeating the litany for the dying, and when she had finished, she struck the floor three times with her hand, repeating, Reckon to him, O God, that he dies in the heads of the enemy. Forgive him, have mercy on him. In this way the whole night passed for her. The priest remained in Lubitsch till morning, and on his way home called Edvodokti. Olenka ran out to meet him. Is it all over? asked she, and could say no more, for breath failed her. He is alive yet, answered the priest. During each of the following days a number of messengers flew from Vodokti to Lubich, and each returned with the answer that the banneret was alive yet. At last one brought the intelligence, which he had heard from the barber brought from Kidani, that he was not only alive, but would recover, for the wounds were healing successfully, and strength was coming back to the night. Panna Alexandra sent bountiful offerings to Peter for a thanksgiving mass. But from that day messengers ceased to visit Lubitsch, and the wonderful thing took place in the maiden's heart. Together with peace, the former pity for Kmita began to rise. His offenses came to her mind again every moment, so grievous that they were not to be forgiven. Death alone could cover them with oblivion. If he returned to health, they wait on him anew. But still, everything that could be brought to his defense, Olenka repeated to herself daily. So much had she suffered in these days, so many conflicts were there in her soul, that she began to fail in health. This disturbed Pan Tomas greatly. Hence, on a certain evening when they were alone, he said, Olenka, tell me sincerely, what do you think of the banneret of Orsha? 
It is known to God that I do not wish to think of him. For see, you have grown thin. Hmm, maybe that you still... I insist on nothing, but I should be glad to know what is going on in your mind. Do you not think that the will of your grandfather should be accomplished? Never, answered Talenka. My grandfather left me this door open, and I will knock at it on the new year. Thus will his will be accomplished. Neither do I believe at all, answered Belevich, what some buzz around here, that Babinich and Kmita are one. But still, at Magyarovo, he was with the country, fought against the enemy, and shed his blood. The reform is late, but still it is a reform. Even Prince Boguslav is serving the king and the country now, answered the lady with sorrow. Let God forgive both, and especially him who shed his blood. But people will always have the right to say that in the moment of greatest misfortune, in the moment of disaster and fall, he rose against the country and returned to it only when the enemy's foot was tottering and when his personal prophet commanded him to hold to the victor. That is their sin. Now there are no traitors, for there is no profit from treason. But what is the merit? Is it not a new proof that such men are always ready to serve the stronger? Would to God it were otherwise, but Magyarova cannot redeem such transgression. It is true, I cannot deny it, answered Belevich. It is a bitter truth, but still true. All the former traitors have gone over in a chamber to the king. On the banner of Orsha, continued the lady, there rests a still more grievous reproach than on Boguslav, for Pan Kmita offered to raise his hand against the king, at which act the prince himself was terrified. Can a chance shot remove that? I would let this hand be cut off had that not happened, but it has, and it will never drop away. It seems clear that God has left him life of purpose for penance. My uncle, my uncle, we should be tempting our souls if we tried to beat into ourselves that he is innocent. And what good would come of this? Will conscience let itself be tempted? Let the will of God be done. What is broken cannot be bound again, and should not. I am happy that the penalty is alive, I confess for it is evident that God has not yet turned from him his favor altogether. But that is sufficient for me. I shall be happy when I hear that he has effaced his fault. But I wish for nothing more. I desire nothing more, even if my soul had to suffer yet. May God assist him. Olenka was not able to speak longer, for a greed and pitiful weeping overpowered her, but that was her last weeping. She had told all that she carried in her heart, and from that time, fourth peace began to return to her and you. End of chapter 55